0: I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Pursuit peeps, I have been waiting to do this episode since I first started the podcast. Today, you're going to hear a really fun conversation between me and my diving coach of nearly 30 years, Kenny Armstrong was a two-time Olympic diver for Canada, but his start in the sport was drastically different from mine. And he tells us all about how his team thought outside the box and built their very own diving platform over a pond. That's right. Diving into a pond is where he began his legendary journey. Kenny went on to his first Olympics as a coach for Canada in 1984 and then became a five-time Olympic coach for the United States. He has produced eight Olympians from the Woodlands diving team and multiple world, international, and national medalists. Every diver who has graduated his program has gone on to earn a Division I college scholarship. And if those stats don't impress you, what should is the fact that so many of his athletes from all levels still see Kenny as a father figure, mentor, and friend. He has impacted so many lives on such a deep level I personally find that so much more impressive than his very long and illustrious resume. I love that John Wooden quote, A good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life. I feel like that describes Kenny in a nutshell. So get ready for some super fun stories because Kenny is quite the character. You may know by now, if you have listened to this podcast for any length of time, that I have been an athlete for a very long time. And it's just in my bones. I love it, I'm passionate about it. And my favorite part about it is the mental game. And I have been coaching athletes on that, creating courses, all kinds of things to try and help athletes really up their performance by making mindset shifts that change everything. And this holiday season, I'm offering some exclusive bundles that are only gonna be available the week of Thanksgiving because I really just want to give athletes an opportunity from every level, from juniors to masters, to pros, to college level, whatever level you're at, there is something for you in your season right now to help you level up your mental game, gain confidence and improve your performance. So if you wanna see what this is all about, go to laurawilkinson.com slash catalog and I'm gonna shoot you just a whole catalog of what I'll be offering for that one week over Thanksgiving. So make sure you sign up to see it so that you don't miss this opportunity, guys. laurawilkinson.com slash catalog. Tell your friends about this you don't want them to miss out either. They're your friends. They're your teammates. You want to support them. You have loved ones that are in sports too or competitive in any way, shape or form. Make sure they get on this list as well. laurawilkinson.com slash catalog. Don't miss out. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this special episode with Kenny Armstrong. Okay. I am so excited to say this. Kenny Armstrong, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast.
1: (laughs) Finally, I know we've been talking about this for a while.
0: A long time. Yeah, Yeah. I'm so glad you're here. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Kenny has been my longtime coach for almost 30 years. That's, that's crazy.
1: That is crazy. Every (laughs) time I think of how long I've been here, it's just bizarre. So
0: yeah. in a good way though. Yeah, it is. it is. Well, I want to kind of start with your background on how you got into diving because it's not traditional. It's a little bit different and it was up in Canada. So tell us a little bit about how you started dipping your toe in the water.
1: All right. I know for a fact that my first dive Well, I'm sure I did a fall in or something, but my first big dive that I did, I was four years old. I did a front somersault off the three meter (laughs) and I don't think I landed it very well, but I made it to the side of the pool, which was beginning swimming. And normally they, they have you swim like 50 feet and then over to see if you can be in the deep end. But I wanted to go off the three meter. So that's my first dive. Then I dove for a. Swimming coach by the name of Dave Neely, I think, or McNeil, or something like that. And then Marnie Tatham started a diving program seven miles away in the in the town of Woodstock. Yeah, she was at a YMCA, and we had a fourteen foot buckboard. And what's a, wait wait
0: wait what's a buckboard? Well,
1: that was before the the. Duraflex. Oh,
0: okay. Okay. So, like just- and it was
1: metal straps. I can still see it. It was metal straps. It wouldn't bend at all.
0: Almost I mean, like, a like a plank.
1: <laughs> but the ceiling was so low. I remember the first time I ever did a, a reverse dive, my hands and my feet went through the ceiling. <laughs> oh so, and, the, and I think the water was like, I don't know, eight feet deep or something. Anyway, that was where we started. And we built from there. We, you know, once we got into three meter, we had to go to Waterloo and then tower. If we wanted to do platform, we had to go 15 hours away. So, and Marnie had six kids. Oh, wow. So her husband, a very innovative guy, his name was Sid. And uh, he got tired of her traveling with all of uh,
0: I complain about going that, an hour and a yeah, half to College yeah, Station. <laughs> I, know. That's,
1: that's 50, I mean, when we went for platform, it was a weekend. So he, and Sid didn't like staying back with with six of the kids. Anyway, we what he decided to do was they had, uh, I think, about six or seven acres of land and a big hill down to a, a spring-fed pond at the bottom of the hill. So his concept was, let's... Dig this out to eighteen feet. My father, Huck, worked for Ontario Hydro, which is the power company there. Mm-hmm. So Dad called Ontario Hydro to see if we could get you know the electrical the big tall wires that are out on farmers' fields you can yeah see. well, the, the metal part that, that the wires connect to, we inverted we took it down, inverted it. Well, took it down, put it back together, inverted, and leaned it out over the pond. And we had 10-meter, 7-meter, 5-meter, 3-meter platforms, <laughs> Two 3-meter springboards and two 1-meter springboards into the pond. So Marnie didn't have to travel anymore and we could train <laughs> there. Except in the winter.
0: What, but, was uh, it stable?
1: It was the best tower I've ever been on in my entire life. Seriously? It, was, it had this little whip at the end. Oh, so you got, your so little you got a little Ding, you know, and you could get things moving really well. The, The weirdest thing about diving in the pond was on a really bright day, sunny day, you would be lining up for an entry off the 10 meter. And because of all of the sediment in the water... Your shadow would come toward you, oh weird, and, you, and you'd be looking at this and lining up, and the shadows coming at you, kind of duck <laughs> it. it was, the, and then trout were in the pond, so they'd come up to the top. And did you ever I,
0: hit a fish like going? I, yeah, out? oh yeah,
1: <laughs> so yeah. Weird. It was it was amazing. It was that was the greatest thing ever. And I mean, I basically moved out there, mm-hmm. and uh, Sid went and got two cabooses, put them into like a dormitory with. 12 beds in each one of them. And we ran camps out there. It was great.
0: Wow. How long did you train out there?
1: Well, all summer.
0: Like, like for a couple of years, like,
1: Oh yeah. I, I, I left and went to Montreal in 1976. But before that I was, I was at, uh, uh 75, I went to Montreal.
0: So, wow. Yeah. So you did serious training there. Cause you oh, yeah. were an alternate on the 72 team. Right. So you, you, were you training there up in like through that Olympic trials and stuff? When the heck
1: was that built? I'd have to look it up mm-hmm. uh, and we could look it up online, but I'm, I'm sure it was right around the early seventies that we did that. So. Yeah,
0: that is so crazy. It was
1: pretty wild. It was pretty cool.
0: That, very cool. Yeah. A little bit different than my my start, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm less less exciting there. But I want I want I do want to talk about your Olympic experiences as an athlete too, because you went to three Olympic games and they were all very very different from each other. So seventy two, seventy six, and eighty. Right. So walk us through kind of each of those.
1: So seventy two. What was I? I was born in fifty three. So what is that? Nineteen. Was it? Yeah. I was 19. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, I was an alternate on that team. Mm -hmm. So I didn't stay in the village. We had another village that we stayed at, but Back then it was the the Olympics were so, no, it wasn't as political. Mm -hmm. And actually Germany went above and beyond the call of duty to make this uh, Olympics because they wanted the world to forget the world wars and all that. So they went above and beyond the call of duty to just make this thing the most amazing things. The security there was, yeah, I could walk into the thing, no credit, credentials, nothing. It was beautiful. And then. The Palestinians hopped the fence and went in and did that thing with the Israelis. And and it changed not only that Olympic Games, we were there for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Israeli camp was right across the street from the Canadian pavilion. So, I mean, they saw the guy with the mask on. it, It was bizarre. Once that took place, the whole games changed immediately. They almost canceled it. And then was
0: that before the competition started? Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah they almost canceled the whole games because of it. But then they, I remember, I can't remember who the head of the U S or the international Olympic committee was, but stood up and said, these athletes would want us to continue. And mm. which was probably true. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they had a vote and I mean, they were gone, but uh, if they'd have had a vote, we'd have been probably still going. So, and I'm sure everybody that's in the, it was competing had the same
0: mm-hmm. same
1: attitude anyway. That was a tough time, but then it turned into a beautiful Olympic Games. So it was good.
0: Did everybody kind of come together after that? Was it? Yeah. yeah.
1: But, but it affected the Olympics Yeah. because now it's, re- I mean, we had Mexico with the black athletes with the fists up. In 68, right? And 68. That's the before 68. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of the first time I remember anything political in the Olympic games that we saw. Mm-hmm then this took place and it just took it to a different level. And yeah. in 76, the security was, and it was in my home country and the security was crazy. So,
0: Well, tell me what that's like. Cause I, <clears throat> I mean, I can only dream I've been to three Olympics and they were all amazing experiences, but to be in your own country where you, no matter how good you are, you're going to be the favorite in that event because ah. you're, you're that home country's athlete. Like what, was that a lot of pressure? Like how, yeah. How was that experience?
1: Well, let me just tell you this you know, Patty and her family. So her dad was an astronaut. That's that's
0: Kenny's wife. For those of you who don't know, she was also my teammate and synchronized partner for a while.
1: Well, her, her dad was an astronaut. He was on two space shuttle missions and right-wing conservative, very straight uh, Marine. And here I am, you know, older than his daughter. And I was terrified the very first time I ever met him. Terrified. Because, I mean, here, this is his baby, and I'm going, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. Well, that was the scariest thing. The Montreal Olympics was the really close to that. <laughs> because,
0: Fair because, example. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. So, I mean, Montreal, if we had 100 people at nationals or Olympic trials or maybe 200, it would have been something special. Here you got 20,000, mm. and we've never... I've never seen that. I've never dived in front of that before. You get 20,000 people in the stands. And I, I, I'm going to back up just a little bit. The six competitions before the Olympic Games on my front dive, I used to get really jacked up and we had to do front dive, back dive, reverse dive, inward dive, and front dive half twist. That was the, everybody. Like all in the, the basic
0: concert. ones at the beginning. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I always started, I, you had to do it in order mm-hmm. and it was a front dive layout and the six competitions before, including the Olympic trials, I would be so jacked up and going for it <laughs> that I would do a front, like three quarters. It would, I, it on I'd do it, I'm right on my back and I, all of a sudden now I'm, I've given up, you know, 60 point or to 40 points or whatever it is that you get for a front dive. So now I've got I'm in Montreal, 20,000 people, all the TV cameras, and they announced Ken Armstrong, Canada, and this roar. They don't know who I am, but they know I'm from Canada. This roar came out, and I had long hair, and it blew my hair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm (laughs) standing on a three meter. I was so scared and went off and got seven and a halfs on it, seven and a half, eights on it. So that, yeah. Uh, the uh, the breath was let out and then I and I was doing great, perfect. Get to gain or two and a half. Hit my hand on the board and drop out of, oh, the, no. out of potential for uh, yeah final. That that's right.
0: Oh man, for it, for for those who don't understand diving lingo. We do the really basic. Well, they used to do the really basic dives at the beginning. And so a front dive straight, I mean, it's like, you know, it's kind of like a swan dive, I guess right. you'd say. So it's super right. simple looking, but it requires a lot of control. And so if you're right. really nervous, it's really hard to control. So. Yeah, oh, man.
1: When I get nervous, I don't back off. Some people, I go crazy. Like I get jacked. <laughs> you like <up>. it? <laughs> yeah, I kind of like it. So I get over enthusiastic about
0: it. Mm-hmm. So. so, coming out of that experience, because you were gung ho going through for another quad, going to another games, like what? What was your takeaway from that Olympic experience going forward?
1: Well, I f- finally found out that I could be competitive on an international level. I did pretty well at nationals and, and Olympic trials, but I finally, I, th- I think the year of 1980, I know I beat Greg in his home pool in Luganus? Mission Viejo. Yeah. yeah. And it was a- That's
0: big bragging rights right I'll, there. I'll you, tell you one what, time, take yeah, it. <laughs> I'm, I'm done.
1: And it was, uh, it was a team competition and it was in Mission Viejo. And I had a girl by the name of Linda Cuthbert was my partner and we'd split a tower list mm-hmm. she had a couple of rough dives but I dove really well and my points out scored Luganus's and I was I thought well
0: hey. I have to let you know Greg was on the podcast he was like episode three for oh, anybody who wants he? to go listen to it yeah but um, he, did, he didn't mention you in it <laughs> <Just> so- <laughs> sorry <laughs>
1: <laughs> he didn't wasn't excited when he got me.
0: No, no, he he didn't even mention it. I'm I'm sorry. Well, maybe we'll have him back on and see if we can uh, analyze the two That's of you. Perfect. That's perfect. Uh, no, so okay. So you know you're competitive. You're going into uh, eighty. You feel good walk us through those, those days, like trying out for that Olympic team. And then what followed
1: going through, going through that year, I think in every international competition I was in, I was in the top five. So 1980 wow. was going to be a really good year for me. I, I, there was no way I was going to medal. I'm not that good, but finally I would have died and gone to heaven mm-hmm. I had a final on Olympic games, which would have been fantastic. And we didn't know, but we didn't know up until the end of June, I think. We'd already got we'd already made the team on I'd won both tower and already the had trials minutes. and everything. Yeah. So, w-
0: was there any like hint of what was going on? Was yeah, the- you
1: could hear because I mean we're next door to, to the United States, mm-hmm. so you know what's going on in, with the news. But I mean, imagine this. They go into Afghanistan. The Russians go into Afghan or the Soviets at that time go into Afghanistan, and that's why we boycott. Mm-hmm. Because they're in Afghanistan. Two years later, where were we? We were in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And we were fighting the same thing. And so it's so insane for me. And I, everybody says we have to separate politics and sports. But it's impossible. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. And so you just kind of truck along and do it, what you can do. And, and, I mean, think about that. I, I mean, I made two Olympics before that. The guys that had never made an Olympic Games, that, and there was plenty in the United States. A lot of my friends in the States only made that Olympic team and they never got a chance to go to it. It was really, really sad that that took place. And then four years later, the Russians did the same thing that was right. in, in Los Angeles. So
0: Right, so nothing good came of it, no, for sure. But no. well, What did you guys do instead? Didn't you end up doing some other kind of yeah. championships? Tell us about that.
1: We went to China for three weeks. Or sorry, yeah, three weeks and then Japan for a week. So, and because China boycotted with us Mm -hmm. and so did Japan. And so we, they, we went over there. The whole Olympic team went over there for, we were three weeks in China, one week in Japan, and we met up with the American team. After we did our three weeks, we all got together in Japan, America, Japan, and Canada and had a competition there. And then they went on to, the Chinese end of things and we came home. So it was a month, we were gone a month yeah. and it was, it was very special. It was a great time, but not, not anything same. like the Olympic yeah. game.
0: Well, what was your decision after that? I mean, did you, were you immediately like, well, I'm done or were you going to try again? Or, cause that, I mean, that, that really kind of throws you off when like, that's your plan is to compete. I want to do this here. Like, what do you do next?
1: When I moved to Montreal from Ontario to help pay for my tuition there, mm-hmm. I coached for them and i found out i love coaching so i get all the little guys that were on the team and i that was my responsibility so i found out right then that that's exactly what i wanted to do when i was done so as soon as 80 was over that's exactly where i was headed so my first gig was uh university of calgary and was there for 5 years
0: didn't you coach at the 84 games for yeah. Canada? Yeah, we won gold. That's so crazy.
1: The first time I ever coached, I, I didn't coach Sylvie, Donald, the mm-hmm. only coached Sylvie, but, but we But you take won the gold. bragging rights. I, I will. I you the, to. <laughs> that was the first Canada's first gold medal in diving ever. That's so cool. Yeah, it was great. So we won a gold and then the next games I go to, I take you two and we won a gold again. I'm, <laughs> I'm like,
0: what? The golden boy. You're there like, you go. I, the golden boy. I love it. <laughs> not. <laughs> so so you got into coaching, you loved it right away. You knew that was going to be your thing. What kind of because you have since then obviously it's been a while. You you've become this amazing coach, you're kind of like a legend, you know, in in diving for coaching. I think I think you are like the man wow. in my very biased opinion, yeah. wow. I will admit. But like where how do you know? cuz I feel like okay, when I when I started diving with you it was 93. So you'd been coaching a little while. It's a long time ago, but like when I first told you, well, you made me communicate. I was not a good communicator and you like made me sit down and tell you what my goals were. And I was very, very terrified to admit to you that I wanted to go to the Olympics because I had wanted to do that in gymnastics when I was eight years old, but I fessed up and admitted it to you and was just ready for you to laugh at me or tell me that's ridiculous or whatever. And you didn't, you like didn't even bat an eye and were like, okay, well, if you want to do that, we have to do this, this and this. And it was just like what there, there's like, I can do that. Like, that's a thing I can do. And and you had been to the Olympics. So I was like, well, surely he knows, but like, like, were you always that confident in your coaching or how did you get there? Or was I just 15 and like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. Well,
1: <laughs> you know Well, first of all, if my body, I'm not a dive, my, I don't have a diving body. How tall are I, you? I'm six, two and a half. and, and <laughs> Most I was, divers I, aren't. <laughs> no. And my fighting weight was 175, which is a pretty good weight, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's no way I should be doing that. So if I can do it, somebody with talent will like you for definitely can do it. So the only reason probably that I made it in Canada was everybody else plays hockey. So <laughs> <laughs> there were two divers at that time. So
0: there you go. <laughs> Process of elimination. <laughs> no, but seriously, like at, at what point were you, I mean, were you confident in your coaching abilities or did you just really enjoy it? Or like, how did this whole thing kind of progress to you? Cause like I was telling my husband last night that, that you studied psychology because you wanted to coach. And that was like a really smart move on your, on your behalf. And then, you know, my husband made a a comment like, well, do coaches know that psychology is important for coaching? I mean, which I think is just, of course it is. But, but tell us a little bit about that because maybe coaches aren't understanding that concept.
1: Well, I think obviously coaching has changed over the years and the way people used to treat athletes and how they could do whatever they needed to do to get the people to get to that point is one thing. I think that there was a different way you could do things. So that was number one. I didn't think that you had to berate and knock down and make it tough. Like I can't even fathom being an athlete at that level in China or it's the Soviet union or East Germany where they don't even, they never give you a compliment. Mm. It's always negative, negative, negative. So I wanted to go the other route and have a lot of fun with it and see what we could do with that. And I mean, we had fun, didn't we? Oh yeah. Like the woodlands was so fun. What a great, I, I, I brought the Canadian Olympic team down to the woodlands, Texas in 1982, the 80 team, came down. I was a coach at that point in time, but there was kids that, that had made the world championship. And i looked around when I got here, there were, I think there were 15,000 or 18,000 people at that time. And we stayed at homes, mm-hmm. like all the teams. I think there's still a Soviet coach here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I never loved <left>. 32. <laughs> yeah, he, he liked each other. Anyway,
1: so I loved coming in here. I, I I remember the guy's name that I stayed with. His name was Steve McFetridge. He was a junior VP for Woodlands Operating Company or something. And I, I was staying at his house. He and his wife's home. And they had two little kids. And I walk in the door and he throws me the keys to his Porsche and he goes, I'll go drive around and see what, and I'm a Porsche, first of all. And then second of all, all there is is trees. In the woods. I was <laughs> driving around all night. I had no idea where I was. So I, I I just absolutely loved this place. It was the first place I've ever looked at and went, I want to be here one day. Hmm. And it worked out. It was just bizarre that that I get a chance to to come down and do that. It was great.
0: And so what, what was that like? I mean, coming down from Canada, well, and you had been at University of Texas for a yep. while too, because you were going to school and coaching, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: No, no. Wait. I was I was done school. Okay. I was coaching. Only. Just coaching him. Yeah, because I'd when you I'd you may have
0: through, dove a little bit when you I you came did, back for I a little did. while too, didn't you? I did. See, Kenny, Kenny is the one who convinced me that it was okay to come back because he did that. <laughs> so I'm really just constantly following in his footsteps. That was
1: '88. Golly, that's amazing. I dove and coached at the same time. Mike Brown was still there. You dove for brownie in a couple of meets. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then from there. I was there for a year and a half and went to Boca Raton, Florida with Ron O'Brien. But Texas was always home to me. Mm-hmm. I'd never felt at home in in Florida ever. And so when we used to come down from Austin to the Woodlands with our teams and I just absolutely loved it. So they, Milton Braga from Brazil was their coach and he decided to go to university in Eastern Michigan or someplace and coach up there and Millie Rivera Paco's mom called me up in Boca to see if I'd come and and be the head coach for, for the Woodlands. And yeah, as soon as I got that, I, I jumped at the cause I was dating Patty at the time. Mm-hmm. She's at university of Texas. And so yeah, it was nice to get back and back home.
0: That's so cool and small world. So Paco was one of my teammates who actually married my college roommate and another teammate. So we're we're all just a nice little She's happy family, family. That's right. <laughs> right here. So kind of take me through your coaching journey because I don't feel like you do things like everybody else does. You've always thought outside the box. I mean, you guys built your own platform back when you were a diver, you know, and you weren't afraid to ever do things differently. Like you said, I, I want to have the same success as these other countries, but I don't want to do it the way they're doing it. Like, how do you come up with plans to do things differently? How, I I don't even know. I don't even know how to ask the question, but like, what's your thought process on how you were going to take these divers i think the first when you first came to the woodlands didn't you like lose half the team in the first week or something that you were here
1: yeah there was 11 kids that were that i was introduced to that were on the diving team and after one week there were five left (laughs) (laughs) hey i mean i I wasn't gonna get paid any more money if i had a hundred or i here was my interview for that job i'm gonna tell you straight goods all right you got the job you're going to get paid $16,000 a year. Big and
0: money. <laughs> don't
1: ask for a raise because you're not getting one. <laughs> so I lived in an apartment right across the street from the diving tank and the, the supermarket was right across the road. So I didn't need a car. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need any money at that point in time. So yeah, it was good.
0: So why did they leave? What were you? Well, <laughs> what was the I, new I think
1: there's a lot of kids. regime. I think... It's so nice because people can afford to do it in the Woodlands or where GC Diving is in Dallas because, or Mission Viejo or Boca Raton, Florida. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Boca Raton, my first day, I drove in on the Honda Turbo 500 motorcycle. The three first kids that drove in, first one was in a Porsche, second one was in a Jaguar, third one was in a Mercedes. And those are the three of the 20 kids that I'm going to try and talk into getting a college scholarship and diving, <laughs> good luck with that. So I had to figure out some way to motivate those kids to get. So it's not that they're relying on their parents to pay for it. Mm-hmm. They can earn this.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so how do you, a kid who's handed everything, like how do you change that mindset? Well, I told him to,
1: or them to talk to their parents and if they earn a college scholarship, but the parents have, have saved money for their college, make a business deal with them. You still want,
0: <laughs> nice. you still want
1: that that some of that money to make your life a little easier in college. Why not? It's mm-hmm. that was that was for that anyway. So
0: smart move. Yeah.
1: I mean and they did it. Mm-hmm. It was great.
0: So what's your as a coach like, what do you feel like your main job is? Because you used to always have team meetings with us and you would always say, What is my job? Right. What is my job? Right. And it took me a while to like catch on to this, but it was to create an atmosphere. Tell us about that atmosphere. Yeah. The culture,
1: right? Mm-hmm. You have to have a culture. Like, it's one thing for me to tell somebody how to win a gold medal, it's another thing if they get to train with somebody that is doing that like think about the kids that you've trained with over the years and they're in there every single day watching you do it. You're a gold medalist. So how it's right there. I don't have to sell it and think about who we had on the team back when you started. So if you can get one or two people thinking they don't have to be the best, but they have to have that drive and that motivation and Every day they come in and it's fun to go to work and it's fun to do this stuff. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, Laura or Chuck or somebody won the national championship. Oh my God, they made the, oh my God, they won an Olympic gold medal. I mean, it builds on itself. And that, that is my job is to create something that not, it doesn't matter whether you do it. What matters is whether you come in and you train to do it. That's mm. that's what I think that is the the secret.
0: I like that. It's like the integrity with which you are doing your daily activities, and that you're putting the effort in. And
1: yeah, I always tell you this: what wins every single time, every competition that you're in, they always win. Consistency. Correct. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to be consistent, you're going to have a lot of success. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. But how do you so? you get a couple of people on the team that are working really hard that are, that other kids are looking up and and aspiring to, but you're always going to have that one kid that's a cancer, you know, that's like just kind of this cancer on the team. That's super negative. That's trying to bring everybody down. There may be a handful of them. Like how do you deal with personalities and attitudes like that?
1: Well, how I deal with them now compared to how I dealt with them then. Yeah. You're a bit of a softy now. (laughs) I am totally soft now. (laughs) Then it was, that's why we went from 11 to five. (laughs) You, I, you don't handle. It. You just don't deal with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to bring your program down. That's the culture. And I'll tell you when it really picks up, and that's if you have a national champion or a really like one of the top divers in the world, and you kick them off
0: mm-hmm.
1: because everybody else sits up and goes, "Holy mackerel!" If they're gone, right? I better
0: <laughs> shape up, yeah, because exactly I'm right. Yeah, and that's, no one's safe at that you point. You
1: can't. Yeah. You can't let. A successful, what we call successful, because they win in gold medals, be in there ruining the culture
0: mm-hmm.
1: because does, they're bringing their own. Does how, that happen a lot? It happens more if you bring it uh, a kid from another program that hasn't come up through your program to see what's going on. They're bring There's a that reason, was
0: successful over there and then came here and like after having not success. necessarily
1: successful over there. They could be unsuccessful, but they want to move to your program to be successful, Mm. but they bring in what was acceptable in that program. Same with gymnasts. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you were diving, I think 90% of the kids were ex gymnasts. So I look for that because they, it cuts our workload in half because the kids already know what their bodies are doing. And like if, if you have an extended ballet background or gymnastics background or trampoline background, that's what i look for mm-hmm. for kiddos. Now there's Nancy Lee never did gymnastics. She made the She
0: did a little gym. bit of it, but yeah. She was 6
1: when she started diving. Yeah, so she did at
0: the same time, i think a little no, bit, but yeah. No.
1: All right. Well, but there's kids out there that don't have that background, but they still become successful in in duck. Normally, divers and gymnasts, trampolinists have the same mindset. They want you want to find the kid that is on the monkey bars at school or climbing trees and mm-hmm. flipping around in trees. There's no. like
0: a certain kind of acrobat that's exactly. yeah, mentality and, or something. And no yeah. fear. Mm-hmm. Well, there's fear. We just go anyway. <laughs> it's, it's more respect. than fear. Sure. That that's point. a good way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So I want to kind of get more into the, cause I, I think you, you have such a different approach than a lot of coaches on the mindset and on how you handle things, both in training and in competition you know, and I love one of the things you used to tell me all the time is like, Hey, look, I can tell you everything. I know I can hold your hand and walk you up the platform. I can walk you all the way out to the end and I can hold your hand. I can tell you everything you need to know, but at some point you have to do the dive. Like I can't do that part for you, you know, and you've always got these great, you're really good at, at putting things in a perspective and in a way in which like we can understand, you know, as a, as a child or, you know, as an athlete on our level, like, How did you and and maybe that's just part of knowing each diver's, each athlete's personality. But like, how do you break down so well for us and paint such a good picture for us to understand what it is we need to do to make those changes?
1: I think a lot of that comes from people that you've dealt with in the past. And a lot of it is what you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. You learn a lot of, of what you don't want to do. And so you have to think of a different way to do it. And so, you know, there's coaches that I've had in the past that I definitely wanted to change how they did things. Mm -hmm. And that was their attitude toward their athletes. Mm -hmm. And then there was like, Marnie was like my second mother. Mm -hmm. And so I learned a lot of what to do with her. But then there was things that she did that I wanted to change as well. So it's just experience from what you've gone through in your own personal life, how you grew up in your family. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly how it worked. And I like people. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I don't like being around a lot of people, (laughs) but I really like people. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yes, I do. Like
1: I won't go to like opening ceremonies or closing ceremonies because I get this feeling. Like claustrophobic, almost too many people. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I love talking with people and joking with people and mm-hmm. having a great time with people. So, and I think that came from my family there. We're very huggy and we're, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, family reunions where there's hundreds of peoples and, and they were hugging one another and just having a great time. So they, I grew up that way.
0: Well, I think you're, you pay attention to like what you were saying, like what you saw here that you liked and you wanted to implement what you didn't like, what you wanted to change. Like, I think the fact that you didn't just notice that, but you, you made plans to like implement something, you know, whether to implement this or not to implement that in the way that you were coaching and, right. and dealing with people. I think that's really, cause a lot of people notice those things and they don't do anything with it. It <laughs> sounds silly, but like, that's what we do. We're like, Oh, I didn't like that. But then right. we don't do anything different to change it.
1: So there's there's a, another thing that, and I don't, I'm not adhering to this, but uh, most coaches sit down and they plan out workouts every single day. And I do that, but I don't stick to a plan. I know exactly where I want to go with it because I've been doing it for so long mm-hmm. that I can see stuff that needs to be done. But if I write it down, and we don't get through that workout, I feel like the workout is a failure. Mm. So for one reason or another, if it's written down and I look at it and we don't do it, Mm -hmm. I feel like we
0: didn't accomplish something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Whereas if it's not written down and I know exactly what we need to work on, And a lot of coaches, I know I dove with Hobie and I learned this, you got to do three a piece, three a piece, three a piece. Don't do more. Don't do less. Three a piece. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? That's so foreign to me because if you're having trouble with your front three and a half, I want to do a hundred front three and a halves.
0: I was going to say, I've had a 10 meter workout where I did like 20 inward three and a halves. That's all we did. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And, but the other thing is, if you did an inward three and a half and your takeoff was wrong, you didn't get to do another inward three and a half. Right. You had to do an inward dive, or right. a back jump first. Right. So you have to go back to the basics. And I think I think what happens especially in the United States is the mentality here is you drive into a McDonald's and you get an immediate hamburger or you go into Starbucks. Boom. Instant gratification. Instant gratification. And so no one, and that's what we've taught our kids. Mm -hmm. And so when they have to break it down and learn how to do and put time into doing specific things so that it does the basic for the dive or Mm -hmm. for the sport, if they've missed that or they hurry through that, it's like a house with no cement foundation. It's going to crumble.
0: Right. No, I think that's a really good point. And i like that too. Cause I, you know, you'll say like, okay, well we're going to do three or four, a piece of these, but then if we're in the middle of workout and and I do two really good ones, you might be like, go ahead and move on. Cause I want to get to something else. And we end up doing like eight of those. And right. I, it is more fluid and it's not written down. I, I, I get what you're saying. Cause almost on the flip side of that too, when you have goals and like, you're making your goals for the season or for whatever, like there's something about when you write those down, right. it makes it very real Absolutely. and very concrete. And it's like, it's powerful. Yeah. And so interesting where, where that can be used for good and then where it can actually take you out. It's, it's almost like a, a ritual kind of thing. Like a, or a, what's the word I'm looking for? Baseball players do it all the time. Uh, like but they wear their same socks every day. Cause they think they're playing oh, well. Yeah. Superstition, uh, superstition, superstition. Right. It's kind of, it's kind of the same thing when you get superstitious. Like if I follow this plan, it's going to go exactly right. But if I veer off here, right. you've derailed yourself. Well, really all you've done is put that in your head. Right. And you've talked yourself out of doing it. So if you do one thing wrong in your head, you know, you're going to fail. And so it's, it's really the way you end up processing things, not so much what's written down or what's not. It's the way you're thinking about it in your head. Right.
1: I think that when you sit down and we normally do this at the beginning of the year, we normally go, what I like to do with somebody with like, it's an Olympic athlete like yourself. I like to go eight years down the road in Mm -hmm. my mind. Mm go eight years down the road on where you think you need to be at that point in time, and then work backwards.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, if I was a golf coach, I would start off on the green mm-hmm. and a putt, a foot away from the hole and teach them how to make sure that, and then five feet away, then, then work your way down the fairway, then work back to the, because a putt a foot long is exactly the same meaning as a drive 350 yards. so. Know that before you know the this. And mm-hmm. that's how I kind of look at, at diving. I'll go to like what we did in, in Athens. Mm-hmm. You came out of the water after placing fifth at Athens and went, I'm coming back. And you did it the next day. <laughs> and what did I tell you? Do you remember what I told you?
0: You said, take a day off. <laughs> take a
1: day off. But then when you when we did talk about it, what dives did we say that you had to have? Harder ones. yeah. Back three and a half. Mm -hmm. We went through the whole thing, gainer three and a half, back Mm -hmm. two and a half, two and a half, Mm -hmm. because that's four years down the road from that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so now you've got it in your brain that and we don't have to go day by day by day by day by day you got to do 10 of these. You got to, we, all your gainers were good today. Let's put time on, on the backs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So when I write stuff down, it gets in the way of where my brain can go.
0: Mm -hmm. I like that. I know something that like Gabby's been doing on our team too, is is like he'll, he'll chart out the whole season, but you guys, you chart it out. So kids know kind of like what's coming week by week, but it's not very specific. Like it's like, this week we're just doing lots of number, like shock week. We're just doing right. tons and tons of volume, just to get used to the dives again. To do these, this week is like detailing. We're working on fine tuning things, but you don't put details to it. So right. you kind of know what the point of it is, but but we keep it loose enough to like be flexible. And, and I know you've said that too. Like we've gone through times where you're like, you guys come in and I can see that you're shot. And our plan was supposed to be to do three lists today, but you guys can't even you know fall in the water right. right. Like you're exhausted. Right. So. Let's do something else this morning. Yeah. Let's change it up and let's, let's get you guys fresh and, and, and performing better, you know? So there's, yeah. there's that boundary, but then at the same time we've gone through things where you're like, you need to be ready no matter how you feel. Yeah, that's exactly and then, right. And that's the time of season too. I'm sure. Cause like we yep. go to a meet and you're like, well, if you're jet lagged or you don't feel good, I should be able to call you up at two o'clock in the morning and you should be able to do your tireless, like the best that you can you know and that so there's this like ebb <laughs> and flow of that you know how how do you kind of break that down like how can can you explain that to maybe coaches listening like these just kind of mindset things that you have
1: i'll give you a great example of this and i'm not mentioning any names but what was beijing was that 2008 2008 mm-hmm. we we won the olympic trials mm mm-hmm. It wasn't even close, but we had to be competitive ready and had to go back for another camp Mm -hmm. and you blew your tricep out. Yeah. That would never have happened in my program. If you'd you'd have made the team, then let's back off and let's get ready for the the gold medal round. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go be competitive competitive ready. Yeah. Who the hell wasn't going to be competitive ready? (laughs) This is the Olympic trials and the Olympic games. So writing that down to me, there's other coaches out there that God bless them. Do it. Cause that's how you do it. I can't operate like that. I have to be, I'm shackled if I'm like that.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. What now do you, when you get to know your athletes, like just from like a personality thing, cause that's something that I think really sets you apart. And as I've watched documentaries and things and other coaches, something that has always resonated that people seem to say about all the greats from different sports is that these coaches knew each one of their athletes so well individually and how to push their buttons or how to back off when they need to back off. Like they knew how to operate with each person where they were at. And like, you do that really, really well. Is that really like individual people and reacting to each individual person? Like when you've got 60 people on your team, how do you do that?
1: It's exhausting. (laughs) It is. I mean, that's the hardest thing about coaching is that part of it right there. It's not the actual going in and doing the physical work. That's, that's tiring. But the exhaustion comes from, think about this, go to a meet. I I'm just, remember, I'm just
0: remembering all these teenage girls that were on the oh team at the same God. time. Like uh, this is a, why you guys, this is why he lost his hair. Exactly like three right. months after I started, it was gone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everybody thinks I shave. I don't
0: know.
1: There's coaching girls. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, I like people. So I'm going to study what people are all about. And I'm going to see, like, there was moments with you that I could try and talk you into getting out of a mood that you were in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there was, like, dark places that you would go. <laughs> and I I could be talking till I was blue in the face <laughs> and it's not going there. So I just put my hands up and let you deal with that. And I'd come back the next day and it was fun. Fine. So you have to know your people Mm -hmm. and they have to know you
0: Mm -hmm. and,
1: and they have to, there's got to be trust. There's got to be respect. There's got to be, and there's a lot of times where that that doesn't take place. So.
0: Well, and on that note, so I want to bring up a really good example because you did know me really well in 2000 and you were willing to go there and push the buttons, you know? And so we're in the fourth, round of five dives in the final. I have taken the lead from the Chinese. Apparently I'm ahead by like a point or something at at that moment in time after the third round. I didn't know this at the time. I just knew I was in the hunt. And I had my hardest dive coming up that I'd struggled with since I broke my foot and that batteries of my headphones died. So like I'm I'm totally in panic mode and I'm like, Kenny's gonna call me down. I'm gonna go talk to Kenny. He's gonna make it all better. And you just look me dead in the eye and you say, do it for Hillary. And you walked off. And yeah. I was like, uh, oh, he's man, trying to make me cry. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, I'm in this important moment of my life. And he's trying to make me cry in the middle of it. I'm like, what is he doing? But I trusted you. Yeah. And so I thought about her and it took me to the place that I needed to be in order to do what I needed to do. Like, right. that was quite a little gamble there. Wait, you know what?
1: <laughs> and that's what it comes down to when it comes down to winning or losing. You got to throw it all out there, mm-hmm. and if you don't, then don't expect it to happen. Because magical things happen, and then crappy things happen. Now, I want to back up just a little mm-hmm. bit because we didn't have video back then. We didn't have like iPads that or phones and stuff that we're we could old vid. school. That's right. <laughs> so. I wanted, I talked to Randy Abelman, who was on the team. I had Ron O'Brien and I'm your takeoff was exactly what I wanted on inward, but it wasn't moving. Mm -hmm. And I, I, so I talked to NBC to find out if they would let us, Randy, Ronnie and I went out to their TV truck and they replayed
0: the replay. (laughs) We did
1: over and over and over. We're trying to figure out physically or technically what it is that you're not doing right. Mm -hmm. And We couldn't, I mean, the takeoff was great. It just wasn't turning over. Mm -hmm. So I had to come up with something.
0: (laughs) Okay. So Uh, did you know that whole time you were going to tell me that you did? Exactly right. I thought maybe that was just something you felt in the moment and you were like, I'm going for it.
1: I had to, I had to shock you. Wow. And now.
0: This is funny, you guys. I've never, I've never asked him this question. This is really cool.
1: Here's what can happen. You can land it on your rear end, Mm -hmm. but you didn't. You got nine and a half on it. That was the winning, that was why you won the That's why battle. I won,
0: for sure, without a doubt.
1: The last two, I knew you were going to be fine on, so, yeah. yeah. Nah, that was wild. Yeah. That was, a, that was a good ride, so.
0: That was a good ride. Uh, and I love the moment after, like, everybody asked me, like, well, you know, when did you know, all that stuff. Well, I couldn't, because of the big banner hanging from the platform. You couldn't see By the time I got out, I couldn't see the scoreboard, because they had moved on to the yeah. next person. So, they, and they made a standoff deck, and so I could see you. And you could see the scoreboard. Right. And so every time somebody went, I was just staring at you and you'd turn around and you'd give up this <laughs> pump. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I don't even know what that means, but I guess it's good, you know? And then you came over just scooping me up yeah. after. And I was, and I'm like, what place did we? Because you just kept going, we did it. And I'm like, well, what place? And you're like, we did it. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, like we yeah, won. That was cool. That was so cool. <sighs> Yeah, that brings
1: back some memories. Holy mackerel!
0: So, what was th- what was that experience like for you? I mean, you'd been on a gold medal winning, you know, team before. Yeah, but- I didn't
1: coach it though. <laughs> I was there, but I wasn't the coach for that. So that was a different. It was exciting because we'd never done it before. But just being with that person and knowing what you've done for how many years we Mm -hmm. did it for, it was, that was pretty cool. I'm going to tell you exactly what that was bizarre for me Mm -hmm. because you, you work so hard. And you're so directed and so into it for such a long period of time, and then you go through the different levels to get there. You go to trials. You go through a broken foot. With well, what are we supposed to do with the broken foot? Now we now we can't do springboard, but we're gonna do tower. Let's get something. So all of these things that you that you go through to get to that point, and then it happens. The first thing that came into my brain. It's so weird when it uh, when I knew that you won because the rest of the divers were done and the score was up there. What came into my brain was, now what? That was the yeah. first thing that hit me, and I went, "Holy mackerel!" I, I I mean, it was like getting to the peak of the mountain, and we mm-hmm. got it now
0: now what <laughs> that was so weird it is weird well you work you work your yeah. whole life and all these years and you put all this energy and adrenaline and everything this commitment and you you achieve it and then it's like well what's next right like what isn't that it, it's weird it and so is, there's that letdown right. yes. that follows coaches and yeah, athletes that huge right. kind of right. letdown of like just adrenaline and yeah. everything for from years you know of that build up and yeah yeah it's that's i am i'm gonna feud. tell you
1: something And you probably know this, I may have told you this before, but when we came back, do you remember coming back and the airport had like Mm -hmm. millions of people because we didn't know what was going on? We Mm -hmm. were in Australia.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Everybody was so excited. I remember we were
0: recognized in the bathroom and we're like, what? What? Like, I remember Jenny and I were in there. We're like, how do they know who we are?
1: It's weird. It was weird. (laughs) Anyway, the whole airport knows that you've done this and we're going through it. And then they go, they change the woodlands to Laura lands. Lands, lands And then we had a big parade going now that happened right after we got back. And so we're still riding high from the Olympics coming back. And now we're high again. And once all of that was over, I remember driving to the pool one day and I had to pull off to the side of the road because I was crying so hard. Whew. Hang on.
0: It just, everything hit like all of the emotions and wow.
1: I had nothing left. And I've got now I've got 45 kids that I've got to give more to. Mm. Oof. Man.
0: Yeah. And a wife and a family. And-
1: the wife that didn't make it. That was. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So it was brutal. Man. Wow. I, I can't believe I'm <sighs> this emotional about
0: it. It's okay, I love you too. <laughs> so what, how, how long did it take you to kind of come out of that? Like funk, you know,
1: I'm going to say three months. Yeah. At least three months. And I remember calling Vince and calling Ronnie O'Brien and telling them. Because, I mean, they've got doctors for you guys. they got sports psychologists that, oh, I'm having trouble with this or that. And they'd sit down. Who do the coaches go to? Mm -hmm. They don't have them for them. So, yeah, yeah, I called every friend going, I don't know what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think Ronnie told me, here's how you handle this. One foot in front of the other every day. Mm-hmm. Just go to work every day and it'll come out. you'll come out of it on the other side. But mm-hmm. it was brutal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm trying to think of where to go to from there and that was uh
1: Yeah, that was uh God, I didn't, I can't believe I got that emotional about that, but it was, I had to drive off the side of the road because I had nothing. And I, ta- I the other person I talked to about that was Cynthia Potter. And I was explaining to her, I don't get it. I, I mean, I'm, she says, here's what's going on. You put so much into what you did at the end of it. You had nothing left. Mm-hmm. You were empty. Yeah. So what are you supposed to latch on to? And yeah. now you've got your whole team, you've got your family and you've got more that you have to give and you got nothing left to give. Mm-hmm. It was bizarre.
0: Well, I think it's a good reminder too. I mean, and I know that's one of your favorite sayings, like it's, it's the journey. It's not the destination. Yes. And I think that's so true because, from my perspective as an athlete and it it, feel like it resonates with what you were just talking about, but you know, you you spend all this time, all this effort, you go through all the ups and downs of everything. You stand on the podium, you get the gold medal, you get this thing you've been dreaming about since you were eight years old. And then you just walk off and it's like, what now? But like, you know, that as great as that moment is, it lasts for like, what, two minutes maybe. And then that's it. So this whole culmination of your life, has to be about more than two minutes standing on the podium, right. you know, and it's I love that phrase from um that old uh, Jamaican Bob Sledding movie, The Cool Runnings, where he's like, if you're not enough without the medal, you'll never be enough with it because people think yeah. I'm gonna win this medal, yeah. I'm gonna get all this yeah. money, I'm gonna get famous, all my problems will go away, blah 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 blah. You're the same person. Yeah after the podium that you were before now, there's just a lot more on you. So it can make things a lot worse. You know, it could make some things better, but it really just puts more stuff on you. So if you don't know who you are and you're not in a good place before that, it's not going to make it better. It's going to just make things spiral out of control. Like I've, I've, I've talked to gold medalists who were so angry afterward because they didn't get the fame. They didn't get the contract. They didn't get what they thought was coming to them, you know? And it's like, wasn't it about the performance like wasn't it about the th- just doing the thing like like doing the thing needs to be the reward like that's what you wanted you know all the other stuff if it happens great it's extra but like the journey to get there and accomplishing that like that's important <laughs> like that needs to be worth i don't the- know if you know <laughs>
1: this i didn't watch the metal presentation oh you didn't no
0: i didn't even know was, they just whisked I, me I away out, i, like, I didn't out even out know what was hall. going
1: on i was out in the hall yeah no that was your moment yeah that's how i felt yeah that was cool it was so cool to watch that. And think about, think about what we went through. Like that year, you broke your foot in three places, and your Olympic dreams over. Bull crap, it's over. No so,
0: way. so let's get into that. So, yeah, a, a lot of you guys know, and can you just mention that that I shattered my foot in three places about three months before our Olympic trials, which was about six months before the Olympic games itself. And we forewent surgery and cast it the way it was. I had a bone protruding underneath it. So it was even when it was, you know, quote healed, it was still very painful to, to walk on and jump off of. But Kenny, you thought so far outside the box, I'm not, I'm really good at implementing. Like if you give me something to do, I will do it. I will do it hundred percent. I can execute it really well, but I am just now getting better at thinking outside the box and being creative. But you. We're just immediately, you had like all these plans. Okay, well, we can't do this. So what else can we do? We can do this. We can do this. Let's try this. Let's do this. I mean, you were just full of ideas. Like, where did that stuff come from?
1: I have no idea. (laughs) I don't. I have no idea because it, I'll get into this a little bit too. It's weird. But in a situation like, I've always said, if an airplane, a jet, if you're on a jet and it runs into trouble and the pilots are shod or they're dead, you want me on that plane. Cause I will land that. <laughs> I get really clear mm. when it's an emergency situation, my mm. brain goes really clear and I don't know why it's always been like that. Mm-hmm. And so I do it and I'll get that stuff done. And then afterwards I, I fall apart. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, from that moment forth, it was all right, what do we do? So we, you had to do your dives underwater because mm-hmm. you couldn't put any weight on it. So you had to do all the comeouts. And then you got to hop up to 10 meter and do your your whole list. We're mm-hmm. standing there looking like you're running. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was amazing to watch because I could see your dive. Well,
0: it you're, was weird because you would coach me from the deck. You'd be like, well, I think that was a little short. And I'm like, whoa, that felt short. Yeah, that was so weird. How did is, you know it, what I was feeling in my head? But because of your actions. Yeah. And that's what's
1: really cool when you get to know somebody, what they're going to do and how they're going to react to stuff mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, I I love I guess thinking outside the box. I, I don't know if I told you this. You weren't I think you were not diving at this point in time. Maybe you were. I can't remember. But we had the national training. Yeah, you were diving mm-hmm. because Troy and Justin oh, yeah. and everybody was here. I started seeing a graph behind you guys. Like we had the trees and everything, and the tower, and it's outdoors, and it's beautiful. But there, there, I mean, I'm, I'm the least technical person
0: <laughs> in the entire world. Well, that's not true. You're, but, you're highly technical and diving.
1: Well, okay, <laughs> you talking, just
0: don't know how to turn your computer I don't on. <laughs> computers <laughs> or phones
1: or anything. So why this graph came out behind you, but I could see where your hips had to be, where your feet had to be inside that graph. It was the weirdest thing. And I think it just popped in because I th- I think that the responsibility of a national training center, you better get your job done here. And mm-hmm. so it was really intense. And and if you remember back then, I was—we were cranking. We mm-hmm. put six kids on the team. I know. Holy
0: mackerel! It's a big, yeah. I
1: was. That I mean, how many divers are there? There were six from here.
0: We were like half the team. That yeah, that was amazing. Yeah.
1: So yeah, you know, and I think we get so caught up in this country in winning. We're mm-hmm. number one. We're and kids that don't make it to that gold medal think they've lost. They're losers. No way. Mm-hmm. I, no way. They're all champions.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. Cause you, you do. I, I, and you've talked about that for, for years now of like, you know, I see you this way. You're on this plane. It's like, I see lines behind you. I want you lining up. And now when we watch video, you're like, okay, well look at this pole. Are you parallel to yeah, this pole? Yeah. Is your body lined up? Are you moving here? You know? And it's like, whoa, isn't <laughs> this is, that weird? And, and like, I mean, I know you studied video a lot, but you, you are very technically amazing as far as like body mechanics and diving. I know a lot of people the coaches in the country are starting to catch up to that and they're studying now as well. But like, was there something more to it or was it just watching lots of divers? Did you, I mean, I don't know, because you came up with different spotting techniques and things like that as well that that you just try sometimes. And then, then I start noticing, hey, I think that diver over there is doing it, you yeah. know?
1: I think, I don't even know where it came from. I have no idea what spurred that on or I don't even know where to comment on it because it's just something that, popped into my brain and I had to get, I mean, it's my responsibility to get this done. So let's, let's figure out how to do it. And it would, it would come to me. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know.
0: What's your favorite thing about being a coach? You've been a coach now for a really long 1980, time. 1980,
1: 1980 in Canada and then down here. So.
0: I'm not going to do the math. That's a really big number. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, 42, but then, uh, you know, yeah. Wow. That's wild wild.
0: So what did, what would you say is your favorite thing about coaching?
1: Well, I think diving is a, I'd probably, if I was a golfer, I'd be into the same kind of thing, but I, lo- I love the feel of diving. I love the feel of the freedom of it mm-hmm. and being able to jump off a board and do three and a half somersaults and come out and rip the entry. I mean, mm-hmm. that to me is like so foreign to most people, like who cares? And mm-hmm. yet, when I watch it or I feel it, it's like the coolest thing. And I don't know how to explain it other than how it felt. So, so when
0: you watch your divers, do you feel it oh, with them?
1: Every single one of them. And I'm exhausted at the end of the day. <laughs> well, you've been working I, hard. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> think about it.
1: You get 20 kids that you're working on. Doing and a lot of dives for day. practice. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that's the big thing, I think, is just the, the feeling that you get when you like, your gold medal was unbelievable, but I get so excited about a lesson kid that just did a front dive for the first time mm-hmm. and didn't belly flop. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll do a back somersault on I Cause it's so cool that this kid finally.
0: Well, you know, I have to tell you one of the, and one of the coolest moments for me, and, and I love competing. I am a natural competitor. I like want to be the best. Like that is just, I'm driven that way. It's just totally ingrained in, in my DNA or something. So I love that. And I love being in the competition. I love the pressure. I love all of that. But the way you make practices so exciting, cause like nobody else could be at the pool. It could just be you and me and I hit a dive and you're freaking out and it's so exciting. And it just, It made me realize like that just doing the thing is such an accomplishment and such a good feeling. And I think one of the best memories I have is that for like five years, I was supposed to learn a back three and a half. I kept leading it up. We're getting ready, but then a meet would come. We'd go back to an easier dive, back to back to an pike, and then I'd lead it up the next year and then I'd go back. And so for like five years, this went on and I never learned the dive. So in my head, it built up like it was this big, scary dive that I couldn't do just because I hadn't done it. Right. But finally, the, the day came and it was like, this is going to happen. I had to relearn how to spot and everything. You were pulling me in the belts like we went through everything that, that could go wrong or whatever and what I was going to do. So that didn't happen. And, and I was going to trust you. You're going to call me out. And I I have never been more scared for anything in my entire life, but I trusted you. And I remember going and sort of seeing it. But you called me and I landed on my head and you were so excited. I felt like I had just won every <laughs> Olympic gold medal that ever, you know, could could be grass. Like it was the, probably one of the best feelings of my life. And then that opened the door for me to do so many cool things after that. And that like, wasn't a meet, it wasn't a medal opportunity. It wasn't anything. It was just doing this thing that I thought I couldn't do and the courage you gave me. And then the accomplishment I felt like I had after that, like that was all because you like enabled me to do that. And you showed me how to do that. Like that's such an empowering thing that you're giving to somebody as a coach. I
1: honest to God, don't Think about, it's about you. It's not about me. It's not, it's about Hank and it's about Chuck and it's about, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's, I think is so important to keep grounded so that you're not expecting anything. Mm-hmm. The expectation is, let's do this for tens. Mm. I don't care that you get the gold medal or, you know what I mean? Just that You just work, want us to all be our very single, best. Yeah. Just do the best job that you can do. And if I can help, I want to help.
0: And that's why I think we all feel like you were not just our coach, but you were like our second dad. You know, you were that father figure, that mentor, that friend. You were going to be our cheerleader no matter what. And that's why I think even 30 years later, like we all just still love you and are so fond of you and have such great memories with you. And I, I feel like that's why we've all gone on to be so successful because you taught us all these things through our sport. And I think, I don't think coaches, especially like junior level coaches that maybe don't have the big, pedigree in their resume, you know, like, cause they don't get all the accolades that an athlete goes on to do like later in life. But, but coaches are such a valuable part of an athlete's life, not just in their sport, because the things that you teach us and enable us to do, right. like help us be champions in life. And I think that's just that's, amazing.
1: That, well, thank you. I, I, anything that I can do to help on that stuff, I absolutely love it. So Yeah, that's great. Well, I appreciate you saying that.
0: Well, so what what advice would you give for any coaches listening? Like, what advice do you have for them to be the best coach they can be to help their athletes accomplish their greatest potential?
1: If you look at our program and look at it, what is it that across the board that we preach every single day? Gabby's having a hard time with this, and it's really fun to watch because I'm going to try and help him. And it's it's fun to see him not changing, but adding his flavor to it.
0: And j- just for you all that know, Gabby was an old teammate of mine and uh, he is now the head coach of our of our local program. And Kenny has kind of given him the reins and is now coaching underneath Gabby. Yeah, so it's I kind of big it's a big transition. It's
1: great. I <laughs> and love Gabby
0: that. was also on this yeah. podcast a few episodes right. back. So go check his episode out. Yeah,
1: this, that was. it's been cool. But think about what our whole team, what was, if you could use one word, To describe our team, what was it? Family. Family's huge. I think fun.
0: Oh, definitely fun. So Mm -hmm. don't
1: lose the fun in the sport. That's what brings kids. And when they get too serious about it, that takes the fun away. So you've got to be obviously serious Mm -hmm. or you're not going to make it. But you have to also be very careful that you keep that fun aspect and trying to be funny all the time and humor all the time. Holy <laughs> But mean,
0: he tries his best I, guys. I, I do.
1: And I, and I, and, and the kids now are like, Oh my God, we heard that a month ago. And I, I, I thought it was like new. That's
0: <laughs> a month ago, you've been telling the same jokes for 30 years. Know. I've known you. <laughs>
1: I know. Sorry. I got to get some st- new And material. I still laugh at them. That's the
0: problem. <laughs> but
1: fun, I think, is is the basic. What brings kids to diving? Mm-hmm. Just what brings little kids into diving? They're terrified, but they do something and it's a blast. Mm-hmm. And they run up and do it again. Mm-hmm. You keep that element. If you can keep that element in your sport and you become technically proficient I think there's a lot of psychology behind things, but keep that aspect of it and I think you'll be successful.
0: I love it. Kenny, thank you so much for being oh, on here this today. This has
1: been great. I'm <laughs> <a> finally.
0: <laughs> finally, exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in today and please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.